to That Anita Live, the talk show dedicated to providing emotional healing through sharing to help you create a happier life. I'm Anita, your host, and we're about to get down to the business of fear and anxiety. There is a doctor in the building and she is here to teach us why, what, and how it forms. How it forms, why we stay stuck in it, and what we can do to get moving forward again. Dr. Alicia earned a master's in counseling psychology from Bowie State University. Said she don't know nothing about that band over there, but we're gonna check on that. And a master's and doctorate degree in clinical psychology from the University of Hartford. She has over a decade of experience in providing cognitive behavioral therapy across various treatment settings with adolescents and adults. Cold, that means she can help you with all your mental and emotional health problems. What's up, Dr. Alicia? Hi, thank you for having me. How are you? Very good. What is fear? So fear is a response okay. um, to an object or to a situation. So the most common fear that I'm, I can think of is bugs. <laughs> so for example, if you see a bug, that immediate response okay. to kind of want to avoid it and get away, that would be a perfect example of fear. What is anxiety? So anxiety is actually more of a physical experience. So I, I would say that we all have had anxiety before. Okay. Anxiety is actually natural and normal and it's useful. So a perfect example of that is... Hold on. Natural, normal, and useful. Did yes. you hear that? Natural, normal, Very and natural. useful. So that means that when someone has anxiety or an anxiety attack, doesn't mean that they need to be committed to a mental health no, ward. No, <laughs> So that's an extreme manifestation of anxiety. But we all have had that situation where we're like, oh my gosh, I need to return that phone call or I need to pay a bill. Okay. That's anxiety. It's alerting you to a situation that you need to get moving and going on. Now, when that is kind of out of proportion mm -hmm. and a little bit too high, you might get something like a panic attack where you're really having those physical symptoms. You feel like maybe I'm going to have a heart attack. Maybe I can't breathe or I'm mm -hmm. going to pass out. Um, and that, of course, if that continues to happen, then that's something that we would sort of classify as an anxiety disorder. Okay. Disorder meaning that it's affecting your life and keeping you from doing the things that you need to be able to do. Um, but general low levels of anxiety are okay. Um, but oftentimes it's our reaction to that anxiety, which usually results in avoidance, that starts causing the problems. Problems. Mm -hmm. <laughs> problems. How, how do fear and anxiety form? So ultimately, it's our, as I mentioned, it's a response to a situation. So usually it's automatic. We have a, por a portion in our brain, so I like to do this. When I think of the brain, if you close your hand like this, okay. this is the front of our head, this would be our ear. Okay. This is the part of our brain that results in fear. So it's pretty natural, but it's a really quick response. We don't have time to think about it with the front part of our brain. Mm -hmm. And it makes us run, it makes us scream, it makes us hide. Um, but ultimately what happens is that if you continue to have a fearful response to something like, I don't know, meetings or talking in front of people <laughs> like your boss when you need to, okay. then that's when it becomes a problem. And it really requires a lot of work using something like cognitive behavioral therapy mm -hmm. to kind of look at what am I thinking about this? What is my perspective? Am I seeing this as something that I can't overcome? How would somebody work to get over that? Yeah, say, so, say the public speaking. How would somebody work to get over the public speaking? Really, piece? it sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but mm -hmm. it's actually doing it. So exposing yourself to a situation that you're afraid of actually will show you that maybe it's not as bad as you think. Mm. Because usually we don't do something mm -hmm. because we're like, this is going to be really awful. I'm not going to be able to handle it. I don't know how to do this. Okay. So then we don't do it. And that by in and of itself actually teaches us, oh, I shouldn't do these things. 
I feel better when I don't do them. I don't feel nervous. I don't have to deal with it. So then you start getting comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, if you actually try it out, you'll maybe hopefully see that it's not as bad as you thought. Now, why do people or how do people get to a point that they allow fear to keep them stuck from moving forward in yeah. life? I think it's the same cycle. Sometimes people put a lot of pressure on themselves. Okay. So, I mean, statistically, women are more often diagnosed with anxiety disorders than men. And I think my thought is that comes from perspective, whereas we believe that we need to make sure that everyone's happy, that we need to look good, that we need to do good. And what happens is that kind of becomes our mindset. So mm. we start to believe, you know what, there are certain things I cannot do. There are certain things that are going to be overwhelming for me. So what happens is you then you start to avoid them. Avoidance is the biggest maintainer of anxiety. If you decide, I should make that phone call, but mm, I'm actually, I don't really want to, I'm scared, then you feel like, okay, phew, it's just like a Band-Aid, that relief okay. of not doing something, now, a lot of that, stuck. A lot of that is self, yes. where we have to do that self-awareness mm -hmm. to be able to, to be honest with ourselves to say, this is why I'm not doing something. Yeah. Now, if I notice that behavior in somebody else, yeah, it's a lot easier to see. How could I handle that? So what I would say is to comfort them or even empathize to say, like, I know that sounds really hard, you know. Oh, I so I shouldn't say, get your butt out there and get that. <laughs> that does not work at all. It's the same concept of when someone's worked up, when you say calm down, mm -hmm, it never mm -hmm, helps. Mm -hmm. So ultimately it's around saying, like, I know that sounds really hard for you, but I wonder what would happen if you just tried it. That sounds so simple. It does. Unfortunately, that is not how we are handling it out here in no, these streets. it's not. I mean, I see that a lot when I work with children and okay. family. So mm -hmm. I see children with some anxiety around things, like even bedtime, mm -hmm. and their parents are just like, go to bed, just go to bed. It's not that serious. Boy, in the booger man in that room, hush up all that noise is good in exactly. there, be quiet. Exactly, but okay. if your child is right. afraid of the closet, think about that example of when you actually open the closet to show your child there's nothing in there. Mm -hmm. That's the same idea of trying out something that you're afraid of. If you actually do it, then you'll realize that it's probably not as bad as you thought. Try it and it's not as bad as you thought. Mm -hmm. mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Because I know some people have been through negative experiences. They have. And formed fears. Just this past week, we had a conversation in my office. And one lady, she's going through a divorce mm -hmm. and says that she will never do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Is that fear or is that... I think that uh, there's some fear there, of course, right? <laughs> I think that's you protecting yourself and saying, I don't want to go through the situation again. Okay. So I think if you do focus on all the negatives of why you got divorced, then more than likely you're not going to get back in another situation because it makes more sense not to. Okay. But if you really actually wanted to get in another relationship, then the key would be to focus on the things that you enjoyed about being in a relationship and kind of being open to the idea that the next one could be different. So she should take it step by step. Yeah. And one not, day at a time, not stay in the, the present. The baby out with the bath water. Yeah, don't get ahead of ourselves. Does, is, does anxiety form from fear or could it be connected to other things? You know, oftentimes it does. It's usually that association once you feel those fearful feelings, mm -hmm. like we're sort of made that if something bad happens to not repeat that thing again. But that <laughs> doesn't be, always- You better believe it. <laughs> right, that's not always realistic. So if I'm afraid of speaking at a meeting, mm -hmm. you know, I might, not do well that first meeting, but if I have to do it again, I don't really have a choice other than to try to try it over. Now, fear has a, a huge bandwidth mm -hmm. because there's fear and then there's phobia. Yes. What's the difference? I would say fear is actually the response 
A phobia is usually something very specific, if that makes sense. Okay. So you can be afraid of failing, and that's a big general concept, but a phobia might be, I'm afraid of chairs. And that's okay. just something okay. really specific and um, direct. And how, the way that people work through them, mm -hmm. is it the same? It's very much the same. It's usually through something mm -hmm. that we call exposure and response therapy. So that's something specific. It's like structured, systematically approaching something that you're afraid of okay. and experiencing it. So in the example I gave before about bugs, mm -hmm. if someone said, you know, I'm really afraid of bugs and it's actually impacting my life, I can't go out, I can't go to my family reunion, then I would say, okay, well, let's start small. Tell me the top 10 things about bugs that you're afraid of. The highest thing might be touching the bug. So we'll go through and say, let's look at some pictures of the bug and see how we feel. Let's talk about bugs. Let's go outside so for a little while. Yeah, it takes time. Patient. Because we have to train ourselves to see that it's not as bad as we thought. Because usually we jump to the conclusion of, I'm going to die. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. Exactly. And that's it and that's all. Yep. Which is, I guess that's how we stay stuck. Yeah. Because we only concentrate on the worst case scenario. Now, what is, what is cognitive behavioral therapy? So in a nutshell, cognitive behavioral therapy is the idea that what we think affects how we feel and what we do. So if I thought to hold myself, on, on. what we think is our thoughts okay. affect our feelings uh -huh. and our behaviors. Mm -hmm. So if I think to myself that coming on here and talking will be the worst thing that's ever going to happen to me, and I'm going to okay. be so scared, mm -hmm. I probably would feel very nervous and I might not show up versus if I thought to myself, this is going to be a great experience, I'm going to have fun. I would be excited and I would come and talk to you like I'm doing right now. So in the cognitive behavioral therapy, do you put them through situations mm -hmm. or? Yeah. Really? So we really monitor thoughts. We look at, um, you know, what's the worst case scenario? Is that what you're thinking about? Is that what's putting pressure on this situation for you? And then we break down what are some other options? What are some other things that could happen? Okay. What are some other ways you might feel? And then we go through it. And then exposure therapy, as I mentioned, is actually like, working towards that fear slowly but surely. So what is the most difficult case you've had thus far? Oh, that is a good question. I would say, to be honest, people dealing with social anxiety or social phobias mm -hmm. are really difficult because people are everywhere and we no. have to interact with people on a Break daily basis. Break that down, give me an example. What is that? What is Meaning a social? that they're most afraid of making requests, talking to other people, um, even saying hello. Um, asking questions because they're afraid that people are going to judge them, maybe think that they sound stupid or mm -hmm. they're going to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. And that's basic, you know, day-to-day -day communication. So mm -hmm. that can be really tough to get someone to just practice saying hi to people at work, which I've done. I've literally walked with somebody around a campus and said, we're going to wave to five people. And it was difficult, but when, once you accomplish it and mm -hmm. you succeed, then I say, oh, well, hmm, I wonder, was it as bad as you thought? So what has been the most rewarding? most rewarding situation um i would say similarly working with someone who wanted to go to like after hour parties at work and get togethers and christmas parties mm -hmm. kind of getting them to the point where they could do that and make friends at work and interact instead of kind of just going home every day and staying to themselves because that could be really miserable so what made you go into mental health at you know that's a good question i i think the answer is is just that i experienced a lot of situations where for example, college, mm -hmm. we're all in the same situation, but we are reacting to it so differently. So even exam time, some people falling apart, some people are performing really at a really high level. Okay. And I was always interested, like, what's making us so different? So that was kind of the beginning. And I didn't have to do more math when I got to college, so. <laughs> now we get to the truth. I was like, that's a good major right there. 
We'll be right back to discuss fear and anxiety in relation to mass shootings. What if I told you that you could stop the negative tape from playing inside your head? What if with seven simple steps, you could leave the pain of the past behind and live every day as your true authentic self? It is possible and you can do it. The ebook, Seven Simple Steps to Beat Emotional Baggage, How to Become Whole, Healed, Healthy, and Happy, shares how to resolve emotional baggage. And feel free to live true to your own personality, spirit, and character. Transform negative thinking into positive thinking and become equipped to boldly face your past and resolve emotional pain. Get your free copy at thatanitalive.com slash ebook. And we're back with Dr. Alicia and we're discussing fear and anxiety. We talked about how it forms and what it is, mm -hmm. why we use it to keep us stuck. People use it as excuses. But now let's talk about it from the standpoint of mass shootings. We've had a number of them happen in the United States yeah. over the last couple of years. They're becoming more and more common. Unfortunately, yeah. With the continuous loops on the media mm -hmm. and on social media, how does, I know kids that are having fear and anxiety about going back to school. Yeah, absolutely. The most recent one was in Florida, we're here in DC, but mm -hmm. how does that affect? Well, it affects lots of people, parents and children. Okay. I think when you see that, um, for example, that is a worst case scenario, right? So I did yeah. say earlier that sometimes yeah. we're imagining the worst case scenario and that's what keeps us fearful or stuck. Mm -hmm. But that's actually the worst case scenario coming true. So it can be really difficult for people to feel unsafe okay. or feel like, you know, I can't manage this. But I am seeing some children um, who have that fear of going to school and we, we sort of just discussing like, what are some ways that you can stay safe? What are some things that you do feel good about? You know, unfortunately, we have to admit the reality that it could happen, yes. but also sort of discussing that there's no guarantee that it'll happen. Because I know here in the area, even when we had the sniper, mm -hmm. from an adult perspective, mm -hmm. there was a lot of fear and anxiety in the area. Yeah. And that's where fear and anxiety are protective, right? So that's what I mentioned earlier, that mm -hmm. it's natural and normal. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to have fear. I think that when something like that is going on in your environment, your body is doing what it needs to do to keep you on alert to say something is going on okay. and you, need, you gotta be careful. So you just wanna look at how can I keep this moderate? You know, I wanna be on alert, but I also real, want to realize that I have things that I need to accomplish and unfortunately go back to school. But I think that's also why it's important to have resources. So, you know, in the school, there needs to be school counselors to be able to talk to the kids mm -hmm. and help them process their mm -hmm. feelings. Or, you know, they could come to somebody like, and, like and not and, and not locked into standardized testing and giving out medication. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pay more attention to uh, actually counseling. Yes, yeah. yes. Be given the opportunity to yeah. actually practice your craft yes. in the school. Exactly. Yeah. Now, with MASH, I know one lady right now going through an extreme case. Mm -hmm and where she's refusing to leave her home. Oh my goodness, yeah. And this is surprising because it's all of a sudden. It happened. Yeah. What could her family do in that case? For someone who's afraid to leave the house, I think, again, like I mentioned before, like empathizing with them and saying like the world, we know the world can be a scary place. 
And what did you notice when you were going out the house before? You know, were there people lurking around every corner? Did something happen to you then? I mean, perhaps something did, but you know, really trying to get them to focus on some of the positives okay. and some of the other reasons why they enjoyed leaving the house and just doing, how about we go in the yard just for five minutes? You know, because it will be a dramatic shift to jump from being housebound to mm -hmm. the mall. Mm -hmm. But kind of just thinking like, why don't we go in the yard and just see what it's like? Why don't we take a ride around the block and then come back home? So just kind of systematic, gradual exposure to the environment. To parents that have children, that have social media accounts, mm -hmm. for instance, a lot of the video from the cell phones from the students that were involved in the, la in the latest mass shooting yeah. are on YouTube. Yeah, I heard that. How can parents, I guess, try and mitigate that risk? I think where it starts is just conversation. Mm -hmm. So you can't really control everything that your child is doing online. Yep. And if you try to, chances are they're just gonna hide it <laughs> and they're not gonna show it to you or talk about it. So I think it's important to just open up a conversation to say like, okay. you know, I heard something's going around online. Like, have you seen it? What did you think about it? That must've been so scary. But just to show that you're there to talk about it mm -hmm. and process it versus being like the warden that's here to shut down everything online. Give me that phone. Yeah, because ultimately- <laughs> Turn that TV they're, off. Right, yeah, they're, you're, they're, yeah, you're yeah. telling them in a way like, I don't want to discuss this, okay. it's just what I say. Because a lot of the times, people in general, not just children or teenagers, mm -hmm. when they go through difficulties, will just shut down That's and true. shun themselves off from everyone. Mm -hmm. As a community, how can we reach out to people that are going through these difficulties? What if I told you that you could stop the negative tape from playing inside your head. What if, with seven simple steps, you could leave the pain of the past behind and live every day as your true, authentic self? It is possible, and you can do it. The ebook, Seven Simple Steps to Beat Emotional Baggage How to Become Whole, Healed, Healthy, and Happy shares how to resolve emotional baggage and feel free to live true to your own personality, spirit, and character. Transform negative thinking into positive thinking and become equipped to boldly face your past and resolve emotional pain. Get your free copy at thatanitalive.com slash ebook. You know, I think having the conversations that we have, like even the conversation that we're having, mm -hmm. just opens up to people to start thinking about different aspects of it. Like, you know what? I hadn't considered that maybe people would be shutting down because they're afraid or shutting down because it's overwhelming. Because sometimes we take it, sometimes we just take people's behaviors personally. Like, oh, why are they being that way? Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. why aren't you doing what I say? When, you know, when you try to help them out, it's yeah. like, oh, you shunning me? Forget it. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Mm -hmm. When it's more so, maybe you just need to come back one other time. Or maybe you need to think about it from their perspective and say, you know what, maybe they're just really scared in a way that I'm not scared. All that sounds very patient and understanding. It does, it very does. patient it's my and aspirational goal for and everyone. For those of us that do not have that level of patience mm -hmm. and understanding, or if life is just so busy, yeah. they don't have that to dedicate to that one specific issue going on in their life. Mm -hmm. Let's discuss, let's say the top three ways that people can help others deal with the difficulties in life and not launch into 
the spectrum of fear and anxiety. You mean how could someone who's not as patient help someone else out who might be dealing with yes. fear and anxiety? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the first thing would be to understand that the only way that someone's gonna overcome fear and anxiety is to do the things that they're afraid of. Now, it can be hard if you're feeling impatient to kind of slowly work with them, but I think you can even give them that message of, look, I know that this is difficult, but I really encourage you to try because that's gonna be the way that you get better. Now, it's gonna be hard, but sometimes people realize that. I mean, I've seen people sort okay. of say like, here's the information, mm -hmm. now you do with it what you want because then they don't feel so pressured or forced, but it might take longer in all honesty. Because what if it's in a work situation? Mm -hmm. And you know how sometimes the turntable can turn under you yeah. and where there's a reorg and you are now put into a training position where you have to do presentations mm -hmm. versus being someone that could just operate out of your cube yep. and not interact with others on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. In a work situation, what could a supervisor do? Because I always see them lean towards giving somebody a bad performance appraisal. Yeah. And then trying to, you know, play musical chairs with the bad employees in the office. They just yeah. try, okay, well, I'll take her for the next six months if you take this one. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I would say if you really noticed that your employee was having a performance problem, mm -hmm. I would say maybe talk to them and just say like, hey, I see that this is not going well for you. Give me some ideas of how we can support you. At least let them maybe address it and okay. tell you what they're specifically afraid of? No, I can't talk in front of people. I've never said anything in front of anybody. I didn't even do Easter speeches. I don't mm -hmm. want to do it. Mm -hmm. I understand you. I hear you. And <laughs> what are some other ways you can look at this? Because I think it's okay to say like, your job depends on this. This is important. And also, if this is beyond me as a supervisor, mm -hmm. we do we have EAP? Okay. Can I refer you to EAP to talk to them? Okay. Because ultimately they need to practice. Mm -hmm. So it becomes that, that, that risk versus the reward. Like, am I gonna take the risk and give the speeches or am I gonna miss out on this job opportunity? What are some of the biggest risk you've seen some of your clients take and be successful with? Wow, that's a good question. I've seen people take risks in terms of being afraid of germs. Um, so in theory, right, germs are everywhere. Yeah, all over the place. So I've seen yes. people be willing to eat things off the floor um, and that's a huge risk Get if you're worried about germs. Because even for myself, I don't consider myself a germaphobe, but I wouldn't be inclined to I eat something your off the floor. I bet your friends would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say that was one of the biggest risks, to let people touch their stuff, like a room full of people touch all their items, um, and just say, like, all the germs are all over it, but that's okay. That is a risk. A huge one. And they, I, okay, so. That took time, though. That's what I'm about to yeah, ask. That's, 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 that's my next question. Even something about small. How long would something like that take? Though? I would say that that would take somebody about um, a minimum of 12 weeks of 12 therapy sessions. So okay. we start off with even looking at okay. stats. How many people die from eating things off the floor? Because sometimes in our mind, when we're afraid of something, we overestimate. So mm -hmm. we would say like, well, 100% of people die from eating off the floor. And I would say, mm, I think you're overestimating <laughs> a little bit to get them to the point where it's like, now you eat something off the floor okay. and you see. I mean, obviously the, the huge risk is to die, but at that point they've kind of realized that's probably not gonna happen. To eat something yeah. off the floor. Yeah, Cause you've conquered it. At that point, you it's, it's called overcorrection. If you can do something as extreme as eating something off the floor, then you can open a doorknob. Mm. Yeah. Mm -mm. Eating something. <laughs> I can't, I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm just a minute. I need a minute to get back to get past that. And this is 
A floor in their home, a floor in the office. A floor, a floor in the office. So that's the whole point. Like, you're going to eat off this highly trafficked office floor, and you're going to live. Oh, right. But that's your preference, right? You, in this case, like, you're sort of like, ooh, that's gross. I don't want to do it. But it doesn't seem like you would automatically think, like, I cannot do that. I would for sure die. It just would be gross, right? And therein lies the difference. Mm -hmm. The difference between a disorder and just kind of a preference. Because I know people that do the five-second rule. Yeah. They're making room for their beliefs <laughs> by saying, like, this is gross, but five seconds. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's not a good doctor wants to explain it. We'll roll with it like that. Oh, my. Okay. But back to the mass shootings. Okay. Explain to me why adults should not discontinuously sit in front of their news media or in front of their phone mm -hmm. and watch the loop right. of the incident unfolding over and over yeah. and over Those again. Those kind of things are really triggering and I think that they really feed in, they make a belief strong. So the same way if you tell someone over and over that they're great and mm -hmm. they start to believe that mm -hmm. those types of footage and clips sort of when we watch them over and over we start to believe like this is the only thing that's going on and it's kind of traumatizing. Mm -hmm. So I know me personally, when this kind of stuff happens, sometimes I'm a little less informed, I will admit. Sometimes I just don't watch it because I can't okay. really deal with that much exposure to the kind of negative and traumatic footage like that. So I would encourage people to limit their viewing, especially because when we have a belief like the world is a dangerous place, mm -hmm. if we follow it up with hours upon hours of footage that show that, then your belief gets stronger. Now what about the other extreme, the people that say, don't post it, don't put it out there at all mm -hmm. anyway. Well, I think that's a, that's a form of avoidance too, right? Those people may be feeling just as afraid and they're avoiding it, which is probably in some ways what I'm doing too, but I'm telling myself I'm doing it in a healthy way. Well, I think once you become knowledgeable of it, then you have that knowledge. It's mm -hmm. not something that you have to continuously do over and yeah. over and over again. I agree with you. The desensitization is what worries me. Yeah, I agree. I think um, being exposed to that stuff so much, mm -hmm. you just start to take it as commonplace, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. unfortunate because that's not the way that we, we want to know that it's important and it should be paid attention to, but yes. not like, okay, just another shooting. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, the world we live in today. As of this moment, I command you to never let fear control your future again. One of the ways to combat emotional fear is with knowledge. The more you know, the less you have to be afraid. It becomes easier the more you become comfortable failing forward. Make the commitment to start your journey to emotional healing today. To reach out to Dr. Alicia, you can visit helpmehodge.com. Be sure to check out thatanitalive.com for where and when to see our next episode. Bam, that's a wrap. 7.30. <laughs>